So are you singing? Are you dancing? Or do you feel weighed down? Paralyzed maybe even? Don't you love little kids, right? Don't you love just watching little kids? Because they can just sing and they can just dance and they're just so free and they're having so much fun. It's like they don't have a care in the world. Don't you love watching little kids? But we're adults now, right? <clears throat> and now we've got cares and we've got concerns. It's interesting, the American Psychological Association says that the three top stressors for human beings are work, money, and the economy. But they put out an article this week that said now the election actually is right up there with those three. <laughs> now could it be, right, that the reason the election is right up there is because if you look at the polls, the number one concern of Americans is the economy. So our top stressors now are linked with this election is because we don't know for sure what's going to happen. Our pursuit of the American dream, right? I've, I've spent 51 years in the American dream. This is the land of opportunity. I had good friends just this year who got sworn in into their citizenship. And it was amazing to watch and listen to the testimonies of people who could not wait to become citizens of the United States of America because it is a land of opportunity. We are free here, right, to pursue life and liberty and happiness. And let's just be honest, if you're a human being, that's what all of us want. That's all we do every day is we're just trying to make decisions that will actually bring us life. What's going to give us full life, satisfying life, one that brings us pleasure and significance and value, freedom, opportunity. And I'm going to be trying to be as honest as I can today. This has been a very interesting week preparing for this message because I think it exposed a lot of my own heart. And I hope that you'll be as honest with yourself as you can as we dive into this today. Here's the first thing that we need to be honest about. When we pursue a life that brings pleasure, significance, value, freedom, and opportunity, money helps make that happen. Amen? Oh, come on, that was lame. Amen? Come on, it just does. Let's just agree. Let's just, let's be honest here today. When you have money, it sets you free to do things which bring us pleasure, which bring us fullness of life. I mean, you can eat better food, right? When you've got money, come on, you've all had a McDonald's hamburger, right? Now, if you've ever had the chance to go to a top-level steakhouse, come on, money tastes better. It just does. You can travel, right? And you can see things. You can afford to live in a home. And you can have all the comforts of your home. You can even afford direct TV so you can get NFL ticket, which is really, really important. You can afford recreation, movies, concerts, sporting events. We live in America, and we see it all around us. We know this. Money helps life feel more satisfying. So, why is it the number one concern for Americans when we look at our election? Now, here's where I want you to test your heart. Could it be because it's our number one hope for life? Do we believe at our core that it is essential for me to be able to live at a certain economic stature to live a full life? Here's what I know. It is super hard, super hard to imagine having less, 
right? Think about it. I don't care where you're, how, however you're living right now. The thought of having less than what you do now immediately puts a little stress into you, doesn't it? Because it will feel like you can't live as full of a life. It's also super discouraging not to be free to have more. Come on, man, this is America, right? Who is content with what you have? This is the land of opportunity. Everywhere we go, everywhere around us, it's just telling us that there's something better, there's something bigger, there's something newer, and you are not having a full life until you get that, right? I mean, that's, that's the America we live in. So to not be free to continue to pursue more. And I know this is our hearts, man. I, I remember years ago, it's, it's crazy how, how, how messed up I am, personally. Years ago, back in Michigan, I had some friends who were deciding to get married. So they asked me if I would do their wedding. And I said, absolutely, love to do their wedding. And they said, good, because we want to get married in Hawaii. And I, I, I was like, well, maybe I should pray about that. And, yep, the Lord said yes. <laughs> so, um, I mean, un unbelievable, right? I mean, I'd never been to Hawaii before, and I get my wife and Susie and I, they fly us out there. It's unbelievable. So, you know, so I go online, I check everything, I'll get a hotel that's actually on the beach. If I'm going to be in Hawaii one time, I'm going to have a, you know, so I can actually see the water, and we set it all up. We fly in, and I go with the groom to their hotel, and it is where the wedding's going to be, and it is beautiful, right? This gorgeous, huge hotel. And we get up to the front desk <clears throat> to check in, and the, and the gal says, well, uh, we are so excited for you. Since you're getting married here, we actually have an executive suite that's free, and so we're going to upgrade you. And you get to go to the penthouse suite. So we take all, well, no, we didn't carry anything. You know, they carry it all for us. And we walk into this room, and I'm like, are you kidding me? It was two stories. There was a spiral staircase right in the middle of this hotel room. I mean, they had everything, balcony outside with this view. It was awesome. I was so excited for them. So then I took Sue's, and I went to our hotel. Yeah, it was on the water, but I'm telling you, you, you walk in, there's two queen beds and a little uh, uh, um, uh, air conditioning unit on the side, and that's about it. And I just, and I looked at her, and this is no, I'm so embarrassed, but I just looked at her and I said, we cannot stay here. <laughs> and I literally spent the next hour trying to find a different hotel. Are you kidding me? I can go from, I can't believe that I get to be here, and as soon as I see there's more, this isn't enough. That is the human heart, man, and it's all of us. It is super, super hard to be content. Here's what I realize as an American. This ability to have things, to live a life of opportunity and of comfort and of pleasure for 51 years, I breathe this. This is the air that we breathe. Can I say, how many of you have ever been around somebody who's choking? Okay, how many of you have ever been choking? See, when all of a sudden something clogs the airway, it is, I mean, it is all holds barred. I mean, this happened to our kid, Ashlyn, just a week ago, and it was just for a second. She just breathed too hard in and the food got caught in her throat and we were all like, oh, I mean, it's just, you can't, you might die. The air that we breathe as Americans is that we believe that a healthy economy is what gives us our life. This is what makes us dance. 
This is what causes us to sing. And that's why it's the, I believe with all my heart, that's why it's the number one concern in this election. Because we've got to make sure that we can live at a certain standard of living or we're not really living. Well, here's our question for today. Could it be possible, though? Would God have something to say to us this morning where no matter what happens, if Trump wins, if Hillary wins, if an independent wins, I don't know what's going to happen. If God could say, listen, if the whole country around you is shaking, you can absolutely be still. I believe with all of my heart that that's the hope that he wants to give every one of us today, okay? So let me pray. Jesus, do that. I know. I have felt it. I'm not there, God. I confess that to you, and I confess it to all of us in here. We have lived in a land of opportunity. We do not know how to be content. I ask that your spirit might rescue us today so that none of us have to go into the future with an extreme fear of what might happen with the financial situation of our country. God, would you meet us there? I ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's what Paul says in light of that. In chapter 6, we're going to be here. If you want to grab your Bibles, um, grab your phone. Is our, uh, again, if you have our app, all of the notes in the scripture are, are there. We're going to be mainly in 1 Timothy chapter 6 today. <clears throat> here's what Paul says. Godliness with contentment, those two things together, are great gain. Great gain. Isn't that what all of us want, right? I mean, when you think, I love, you just wait till you see Paul's language in here. It's so fantastic. That's what all of us want. We want fight great financial gain. And Paul knows that. And so he's going to listen. So I'm going to talk to you about great gain. Not just a good gain, a great one. When you have godliness with contentment. Well, what's godliness? Godliness is when you live a life that is totally committed to God. It's, I mean, that's what it is. A godly person is someone who says, God, whatever you say, man, I'm in. I actually want to live like you. I want to follow you. I want to be exactly like you. So Jesus came and he said, can I just show you what that's like? He goes, I'm going to show you. It's called the kingdom of God. It's called the kingdom of God. It's when God actually calls the shots and you follow him. You know what's so cool? The Bible says that that kingdom can't be shaken. That's cool. And that's the one he's calling us to live in, all right? So that's godliness. What's contentment? What a great definition. Here's contentment. It's a state of peaceful happiness. Anybody, how many of you want peaceful happiness? Everybody wants peaceful happiness. It is the state of being deeply satisfied. However, you guys, this is it, content. If you can actually be content, then you can be deeply satisfied and at peace. This is what every human being is looking for. We think that money is actually going to give it to us. Now, here's what's interesting. So is it wrong to want things then? What's contentment? If I, I have to be content, does that mean when I want things, I'm wrong? No, I don't think so. I don't think it's wrong to want things. I think God has actually put desires within the human heart. There's, there's something about us that likes newer things and, and better things and bigger things, and I think God actually provides those in Scripture. He's saying, yeah, I got newer, bigger, better things too. So I don't think it's wrong to want things. The danger, now listen to this, the danger is when you need them. 
There is a big difference between wanting money and needing money. There's a difference between wanting a certain way to live, a certain lifestyle, and needing that lifestyle. See, when you want something, it's like you're the dog, and the want is the tail. And you get to just wag that. But as soon as you need it, the want becomes the dog, and you become the tail. And it wags you around, and it shakes you, and it makes you fret inside, and you start losing your life. Look at this. Here's what Paul said in Philippians 4. He goes, I'm not saying this because I am in need. Okay? He goes, I'm not being wagged. He goes, I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content. Now, look at this. Here's our hope for today. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Come on, man. That's good news. That means whoever wins this thing and whatever direction our country goes, God is saying to you, chill. Any and every situation. Paul says, I know how to be content. Look, at he goes, whether I'm well-fed or whether I'm hungry. I'm content. And remember what content was? It's a state of peaceful happiness and deeply satisfied. He goes, I, 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 whether I'm living in plenty or in want. And here he goes, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. How many of you guys ever heard, I can do all things through God who gives me strength? How many of you guys have heard that, that verse right? How many of you have heard athletes say that? Right, Josh, did you used to say that? The athletes always, I can do all things through God who gives me strength. You know, and, and, and what's so cool is, but God's like, well, actually, that's not what I was talking about. But um, <laughs> what I was talking about is the biggest struggle you're going to have as a human being because Jesus said your treasure is linked to your heart, the biggest struggle you're going to have as a human being is to be content. And I can give you strength in any situation. You guys, we have great hope today. Lord, help us to grasp this. So here's where he goes. How does he do this? Well, let's look at this. First, he says, it is learned. That's the other thing, okay? To be content, you actually have to learn it. You're not just like, it's not some, oh, I, I'm, I'm content. No, you actually have to learn it. You have to go through a process to get to that place. And then he says, I've learned the secret. Now, by definition, secret means it's something that's not obvious. <laughs> secret means it's eluding us, right? If someone's over there going, you're like, well, 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 what? what are you saying? What is that? I don't know what that is. And Paul's like, listen, right now, your contentment is eluding you. <laughs> It is a secret. You don't know how to be at peaceful bliss inside your soul in any situation. Why don't you? Why don't you know how to do that? He goes, it's a secret. He goes, but I learned it. And then he says, in any situation, and God can give you the strength to do it. So now let's go back to 1 Timothy 6. And I believe that in this passage, Paul tells us how to do it. Okay? We're going to discover in here, there are some good decisions we can make. And there are some bad decisions we can make. There are decisions that actually will bring a really low return for your life. And there are decisions that you can make that will result in a really high return. Okay? Here's how Paul learned the secret. He says, we brought nothing into the world, 
and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Okay, how many of you hear that verse and go, not in America? Are you kidding me? Food and clothes, come on, man. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, notice it says the love of money, is a root, not the root, but it is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money wandered from the faith and they pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight, okay? So here's the other thing. If you're going to be able to do this, if you're going to find contentment, you're going to have to fight. This is not easy. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And then down to verse 17, he says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put your hope in wealth. It is so uncertain. But put your hope in God, who richly provides you with everything for your enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, here you go, you guys, in this way, there is a way, you will lay up treasure for yourself in the coming age, and you will take hold of the life that is truly life. You'll dance, and you'll sing. You'll hear the music, and you won't be living for the next destination like that video said. You'll be living in it right now the life that is truly life. All right. Now, these are some high-risk decisions, okay? Let's look first at the two high-risk decisions that lead to a low return. What is Paul trying to warn us of? Number one, here's the first high-risk decision. When you're devoted to your own personal gain. If your devotion in your life is for your personal gain, Paul says that's a really high-risk decision that you're making if you want a high return. So why, how, how do we know that? He said in this, command those who are rich in this world to not be arrogant, okay? Now, I, when I do these messages, I usually put about four different English versions of, of the Bible in front of me because I'm always intrigued how guys try to take the original Greek language and, and, and put it in here. In this, they, they, had all, they all had a different word. They said, command them not to be arrogant. Somebody else said haughty. Somebody else said proud. And somebody else said conceited. Now, the reason they didn't just come up with the same word is because in the Greek, what Paul said was command them not to be high-minded. To be high-minded. Well, what does that mean? It means to have or to reveal an exaggerated sense of one's self-importance. Okay? I had a guy come up after me the first service. He's like, man, I can't believe God's speaking to me in so many ways. I heard it again today. And he said, basically, that only, he goes, what I've realized is that almost every human being is so stuck. You got one life, right? It's your life. And you constantly think about yourself. And it's like there's this whole play going all around, and you're the central character in the play. You're not that important. You're not. 
And, and so here's what happens. When you, he, so, so be really careful because if you think you're what it's all about, if you wake up every morning and your devotion is to yourself and it's to your own personal gain, Paul's like, that is a really high risk decision you're making. Now, why is that the case? Because he goes on to say, if you're living to elevate yourself, that why else would you want to get rich, right? He says, be careful, because if you want to get rich, if you love money, if you're eager for money, well, we all are. <laughs> now, I think there's two reasons we are so eager for money. Why are we so committed to ourselves? The first reason is because if you have money, you have prestige. You are valuable. You are seen as more worthy on this planet when you have money. And so many people are giving everything they've got because I need to know that I matter. And a certain amount of money, a certain economic status provides my prestige. It gives me my value. It actually is my identity. That's one reason we pursue it so hard. The second reason we pursue it so hard is what I said before. Because it feels good, man. Money affords pleasure. For me to feel good, to be satisfied, to have a peaceful happiness, for me to finally be content, I need some more. And Paul's just saying, listen, man, if you're devoted to that personal gain, you got a problem. Here's a second risky decision, he says. When you put your hope in wealth. If you are putting your hope in wealth, you are setting yourself up for a fall. Why? He simply point blank says, because money is so uncertain. Do you all know that? <laughs> we all know that. Money is uncertain, so why are we putting our hope in it? So why do these two things, devoting yourself to personal gain and putting your hope in wealth, why do they provide a low return for your life? Here's where we go. There's two things that Paul says will happen if that's how you're living your life. So let's, let me bring this back home to where we are. If your concern, your top concern about this election and the future of the American dream is your own personal gain, and if your hope for the fullness of your life is in wealth, okay, what could happen to you, he's saying? Number one, it could plunge you into ruin and grief. Now, now why in the world? How, how can the love of money... How can devoted to my own gain and putting my hope in money actually ruin and, and, and bring grief? Well, number one, <laughs> if you have an exaggerated sense of your own importance, you know what usually happens? Your devotion to self usually comes at the expense of another. Amen? <laughs> see, if you're so concerned for yourself, you can't even see the people around you. So then what happens is, if you love money, next thing you know, your spouse is going, and I don't feel loved. And if you need money, all of a sudden, you don't need them. And you're like, well, no, no, honey, I do need you. No, you don't, because you are giving everything you've got to that position, because if you don't have that prestige, if we don't have the freedom to be able to go on trips and have boats and do vacations and eat wherever we want, it's like, then who are we? Then we won't be satisfied. I need that. And so what happens is, I'll go to work more. I will, I will pursue that. Your kids wonder who you are. And the next thing you know, there's ruin and destruction going on in your relationships because you have an exaggerated sense of self-importance. That's one way where Paul says, I think, ruin and destruction happen. And you guys know this. I do marriage stuff all the time, right? One of the top three things that kills marriages is money. <laughs> so be careful, he says. Don't put your hope in that because you'll end up being devoted to it and it'll ruin and destroy things. Secondly, 
Oh, by the way, when it says you'll be pierced with many griefs, that word pierce, the actual meaning of the word is to put on a spit. I think that's a great image. <laughs> How many of you have ever felt like you've been put on a spit, just being turned right over the fire? He goes, that's what can happen if you put your hope in this. Now, let's, now that's if you have an aggravated sense of your self-importance. But secondly, why does plunging into ruin and grief happen if your hope is in wealth? Well, I've already said it, so I'll just be quick. If the top stressors for a human being are work, money, and economy, it's because our identity and our value and our belief that satisfaction and fullness of life depend on them. So we freak out about this election. Why? Because we know it's uncertain. You know it's uncertain. And so what happens? Now you live with anxiety. Now you live with fear. Now you live with stress. Now you can't sleep at night. What's happening to your soul? See, this is what happens. And Paul is just saying, man, this is foolish and harmful desires. And again, again, not wanting money, needing it. And so, you set your heart on a kingdom, right? On a, on, a, on a belief system that can be ruined and it can be destroyed. And it can cause you much grief and it can put you on a spit. And so, number one, Paul's saying, hey, be really careful. It can cause you to plunge into ruin and grief. And we all know that that's true. Here's his second warning. Here's the second low return that can happen. Here's for all you guys. Hopefully some of you in here are just checking out what God says or what Christianity is. But here's what, write to you, to those of us who are Christians. He says, if you devote yourself to your own personal gain and put your hope in wealth, you can wander from the faith. Paul said, I've seen people do it. I've seen Christians totally wander from the faith. Now, the word, definition of wander, right, is to move slowly away from a fixed point or a place. I always say that about golf. Golf is the perfect illustration. Because every time I set up and I aim for that, that flag, I am lined up perfectly. It's what I want. And then I set it off like this and I go, you know, and then it takes off. And you go, well, how, how did I end up over here? Some of you today, you do believe. You are, you, you, you want to have your hope in Christ. But I think this morning, God just wants to wake you up and go, no, no, no. I know you think you have your hope in me. The truth is, you've wandered from the faith and your hope now is in the American dream. And I know it's true because you're freaking out. What is faith? Faith is the confidence in what we hope for. It's the assurance of what we see. It's that fixed thing that we go on to. But all of a sudden, he says, if you love money, if you put your hope in that, and if you're committed to yourself, man, you lose your confidence. You lose your assurance. And you're no longer content. You guys, this is what God wants to set us free from, okay? Those are the high-risk decisions that we make that lead to a really low return in our life. We're not dancing anymore, man. We're freaking out. Okay, so now let's turn around and let's look at the high-risk decisions that Paul says, but if you'll do these, if you'll do these, you can have a high return, man. You can have life. You can dance and you can sing and you can be at peace and you can be satisfied deeply in your soul. Number one, he says you must be devoted to communal gain. Now I'm going to explain this here in a second. This is fascinating to me. So the path that leads to destruction is when I'm devoted to personal gain. 
But if I'm actually committed to the gain of all of us, and not just myself, it brings life. How do we know this? Well, he said this, right, in verse 18. He said, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. So here, here I got a question for you. <laughs> Why in the world would you ever commit yourself to being generous and willing to share everything that's yours? The only reason you're going to do that is if you care more about everybody than you do yourself. And that's what he says. That's how we've got to live, you guys. If we're going to make it, no matter what, in any situation, and be content, I got to actually care more about everybody else than myself. Now, why would you do that, he says. How can you actually live like that? Well, the other place, he said this. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. Okay, Christian, right? What does that mean? We said, man, when we believe Jesus Christ, we received eternal life. But what is eternal life? I say this all the time here because I know we struggle with this. Jesus said eternal life is when you know the one true God and Jesus whom he sent. It's not it's heaven, you guys. Eternal life is right now when you know him. He is in me. God is in me. I am actually in him. It's the life right now. Listen to this. This is important. It's the life right now that's reconciled, redeemed, and restored into the life of God. That's what salvation is. So if all you guys are coming here and you're wondering, what is Christianity? Why would anybody want to live this way? Because there is a God full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and wisdom and strength that we're separated from. But when you receive Christ and he comes inside you, he says, it's eternal life because you now got me. You guys, you know what eternal life is? It is the life of Christ. That's what it is. I finally am free to live the life that Jesus lived because his spirit is now inside of me. And then you look at the life of Jesus and how did he live? You know what I love about this? Here's a guy who was an oppressed Jewish man living in the Roman Empire, and he was absolutely free. He was totally full of joy. He had nothing but peace. You know why? Because he says, I do whatever God wants me to do, and I give my life away to everybody else. He was free. And so what Paul is saying, and listen, if you want to make it, no matter what, you have to be set free from yourself. You have to instead take hold of the eternal life that you got, which is the life of Christ inside of you. And it's the heart that loves God and loves others. And he says, man, when you've got that, all of a sudden, because here's what's cool, you guys, nobody can stop you from doing that. No economic situation can stop you from loving God and loving other people. And if that's the greatest thing, if that's actually what your heart was made for, you and I can make it no matter what financial situation we find ourselves in. So he says, fight the good fight of the faith. And I'm telling you, man, I believe that a life lived for the good of everyone and not just for myself is truly life. And I can live for that. That's the first thing. Here's a second decision he says. So live for everybody. Live a greater life of love for the community and not just for yourself. Secondly, Paul says, here's the other good decision, high-risk decision that'll lead to a high return. Put your hope in God. Don't put your hope in money, you guys. You know it can be gone. Put your hope in God. 
He is the only thing that will never leave you, never let you down, never change. So in our hearts, and we're going to give you a chance to do this here at the end of the service, we've got to say, no matter what, God, you're greater. You are greater. You're greater than any political party. You're greater than any country. You're greater than any job. You're greater than any financial thing. You alone can satisfy my soul. So nothing, now here's what's interesting, you guys. Nothing should be able to make you miserable or anxious. Nothing should actually be able to rob you or steal your joy or to rob you of your peace. You know why things do? Do you know why we're freaking out right now? Simply because you need them more than you need God. When I read that this week, when I was studying, it was like slap across my face. But what a great revelation. I'm so grateful to know if I'm freaking out, why? The reason is because I believe that that is going to give me my life more than I believe God is going to give me my life. What's your hope in today? Is it really in an election? Is it really in Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton? Is it really in an independent coming through and saving? No. Are you kidding me? Everything can change in a second except God. So we put our hope in him. Now, that's where Paul said, I've learned the difference. I've learned the ability in plenty and want. He has, just so you know, you might think you're content, but really, people who gain it all, who have plenty, still find their hearts not satisfied. Why is that? Why even once I got all this stuff, is that not enough? And then, that's not the problem for most of us in this room, right? Most of us just feel, well, I'm just not content because I haven't got it yet. But as soon as I do, I'll, I'll get it. No, you, come on, seriously? We know that's not true. So, here's the key. Paul said, God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And this is where I think even as Christians we go, yeah, I'm not buying that one. <laughs> come on, really? God richly provides with everything for my enjoyment? I think most of us are going, hmm, actually, I think the American dream, it's a little more tangible, a little more right there. I can feel it. It feels good. Here's what we know, man. We've got to believe that God knows your heart, and he is the only one who can satisfy you with a peace that will not leave you no matter what happens around you. I love what, what um, C.S. Lewis said. He said, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. And that's what I want to encourage you in. Put your hope in God. He created all of this, but it was there just to give us a taste of something that could be gone in a second. But it really is to lead you to him who's the giver of every good thing. So, some risky decisions. Live for communal gain instead of personal gain. And put your hope in God instead of in wealth. What's the high return? Two quick things. Paul says this. You will store up treasure for the coming age. I love the language he uses here, right? Because he's talking about money and the economy. And he says, come on, you guys. You can store up treasure for yourself in the coming age. 
So instead of devotion to self, I live and I give for the world. And here's what, here's what we know. Every time you do an act of faith, every time you act in faith with God and you express it in love, there is a ripple effect that goes into eternity. That is what is true. And so if you live for that, see, that's what we got to remember. That's why we did this series on heaven. We have to remember in the midst of this world, there's something so far greater. That's why Paul started off. He said, well, you guys didn't bring anything into the world. You're not going to take anything out of this world. Why are you living for that? Walk by faith and love. Love God through faith. Express it to love with everybody else. And every time you do, it'll be a ripple effect. And you're going to get to heaven and it's going to be like, yes, I lived for what really mattered. Lay up your treasure in heaven. Secondly, he says, and if you do that, you will take hold of the life that is truly life. You'll take hold of the life that is truly life. You'll know God. He'll set you free. You'll care more about everybody else around you than yourself. How freeing would that be? You'll dance while the music is being played instead of scared that the music's going to stop or trying to find that next thing to give you your satisfaction. You guys, none of us need to move forward into this uncertainty of the United States and the American dream with trembling and with fear. We can walk into it with contentment because we have the life of God inside of us. Look at these differences. So basically, we can be devoted to personal gain or devoted to communal gain. These are your choices. Which one are you going to live for? Number two, you can put your hope in wealth or you can put your hope in God. <laughs> That's so funny, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, actually, when you put them next to each other, you're like, what am I doing? What, what am I doing? How ridiculous. Number three, you can plunge into ruin and grief or you can store up treasure. Isn't that interesting? You see Paul's language? Falling into temptation, falling into a trap, plunging into ruin, destruction, or laying up treasure. It's your choice. What's your hope in? What do you live for? And then the last one, you can wander from the faith or you can take hold of what is truly life. What a difference. You can wander from the assurance. You can wander from the contentment. You can wander from the confidence of knowing that God loves you, that he's greater than anything else, or you can take hold, take hold of the life that is truly life. So what do we do? What do we do? I love what Paul said. He goes, the only reason I can do this I can do it because God gives me strength. Y'all, this ain't human. It's not human to be content in a world that's shaken, but it is divine. And so the first step you got to do is you've got to get this kingdom inside of you. You've got to get Jesus Christ inside of you, the one who never shook, the one who had joy and peace in the midst of oppression, the one who lived in a country where it was 97% poverty of some nature, and he was free. You got to get that guy inside you. So you receive Christ, and you put your faith in him and nothing else. 
And then for all of us who are Christians, man, you've got to stop. I said it last week, like David said, he goes, the only reason I feel secure is because I'm fixing my eyes on him. Man, you got it. How much time are you giving to Fox News or CNN or whatever your bent is? How much time are you giving to seeing what's going out there versus how much time are you getting in God's word and letting him speak to you? to secure you, to strengthen you, to assure you of who he is, to let you know that he loves you, to let you know he'll never leave you or forsake you. I'm telling you, please, man, every day, God's ready to fill you up with what you need. But secondly, we need each other. The Bible says don't give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another daily. <laughs> I'm telling you, we're going to need encouragement in these days to come. Very, we're going to need to be encouraged. So who are you hanging with who's full of joy and who's full of peace because they're full of faith? Because their hope is in the kingdom of God and not this world. Do you hang out with people like that? Man, get into a life together group. Do you really just rely on an hour, an hour and a half here at K2 on a Sunday? Or are you in relationship with other people who are encouraging you? You've got to do this if you're going to make it. All right? And then the last thing, start living the life now. <laughs> start living the life of absolute love and care and generosity and good deeds and finance. Just start living it now. So that if anything does happen to our economy, you're going to be fine. Because you weren't living for that in the first place. But you got to start doing it now. All right? So we're going to do something very, very important. The band's going to come up here. And we're going to close our service with worship. Now, this is so key. This is not about singing songs. I said this last week. If you're new to K2, you're probably not going to know this music. And I know it's, it's tough to sing when you don't know the songs. Then don't sing. But meditate on these words. The hardest thing to do is to get what we know to move to our heart. To where we actually believe it. And God gave us this gift of worship, of music, that moves in a deeper place in your being. Okay? And it's going to be so important that you actually take your heart and get it connected to His to remind yourself, yes, you are great. You are greater than anything else. Why am I pursuing anything else more than you? You are the greatest thing. I'm putting my hope in you, God. Your love is what I'm putting my confidence in. And I, I tell you, we're going to take our offering right now because it's, it's a no-brainer, isn't it, after today? This is why I think God is so good to us and says, hey, just trust me. Give me 10% back. And what it will do is it will help you stop putting your confidence and your hope in wealth. Stop it. Set your heart free. Be for me and be for others. Because then when life falls around you, you can still be for me and still be for others. So, man, we're going to take an offering, and we will, man. Every dollar we take will go out and bless the world as much as possible. But I believe every dollar you give will also help your heart, Jesus said it, to follow it to God so you can be at peace. Now, here's what's interesting. Last thing before we sing. There's a line in this song that says, it's your breath in our lungs. And here's what I want to challenge you as you sing this song. What is the air that you breathe? Has it been the American dream? Is it the economy? Is it really your job? Is it really finances? Is that what you look to as the most important thing and what you trust to give you life? Or is it God? Is it His breath in your lungs that makes you breathe, that gives you life? I'm telling you, the other one you can choke on. 
If it's him, you can't. He is the air that we breathe. All right? Let's worship him through our tithes and offerings, and let's stand and sing and connect our hearts to this great God.